remember uh, being in Bible college and um, uh, um, a really boring preacher was trying to teach everyone how to preach because we had all heard him and then we all left thinking we're not going to listen to you and what you say. And I remember listening to so many boring sermons and thinking, the problem with this is it's just a collection of little lessons that we could have all stayed home and read about in a text somewhere. And so I resolved as a younger guy to always ask the Lord for a burning message so that Christ almost walks among us with something. Oh, never let me go with just some lessons which are dull. And even if the Spirit doesn't come in power, may there just be something that I say that people chew on when they get home in being in awe of Jesus. Anyway, I've got a collection of lessons. <laughs> um, I've worked so hard on this sermon, but honestly, the, all I've got here is a collection of lessons, so I'm sorry, but I am praying that something in some of these lessons will be helpful. Um, how to share Jesus in the city. Here's the summary of a collection of lessons. Pray and tell people who you're praying to occasionally, because the city needs that. How to share Jesus in the city. You pray. I'll pray, and occasionally we'll tell people who we're praying to and invite them to pray to him too. That's the summary of the message. Now, I'm going to show it in a few little different ways uh, as we come to the communion table. I'm grateful for Jonah chapter 1 because I have a tendency, and you might as well, to make God a bit like you. And um, so... We like the love bit. Yeah, God's loving. The Bible says that. But then we can often like mold him into a little version of us. So he ends up liking the people that we like, behaving generally as how I like. He'd probably vote for the same party as I vote for. He'd probably support the same football team, which might not be Cardiff actually at the moment. Um, but he agrees with me. But Jonah chapter 1 does something. It introduces something about God that we wouldn't naturally think a God would do, like because the way we think. And here's what he does in verse 4. This is what the living God is like sometimes. Then the Lord sent a great storm or wind on the sea, and it was such a violent storm that the ship that Jonah was on threatened to break up. And as we come to worship on Sundays, the key is to get a picture of the living God, not from me, but from the Word of the Lord. So this is a key one as it expands our view of the God we want the city to worship. And here, He sends a storm. And we're here to worship that God. Sometimes in the Bible, right, God does some stormy-like things in the lives of people, or in cities or countries, and it's in response to something that they've done. Occasionally, he does that because he wants to do a special work in their lives, or a wider work in a country. He does that, but it's not easy to figure out when he's doing that, okay? Other times, God allows storms, hardships, poverties, suffering, special favor sometimes, 
And then people in the Bible go up to God and go up to Jesus and go, why is that stormy thing happening there? Why did that building collapse? Why is that rain there or that sun shining there? Is there a special reason? And God often goes in the Bible, there's no specific reason why I'm doing that one. It's just all part of the great cosmic plan to bring glory to God and to save people, to bring glory to God's name, right? Here's key lesson one as we lift up Jesus in the city. In many years of pastoral ministry with people facing storms and cities facing storms and countries facing storms, metaphorical, political, literal, I have found that it's best in church life, as we want to share Jesus in a city, that we don't become like prophetic hotheads and go lecturing on what people are going through all of the time, on why he's doing this to them, or why this has happened, and what the great purpose is. I've seen people get it wrong too many times. And cities go through storms, and people here might be going through storms. I would avoid defaulting to judge them that there's something they've done and now God is getting at them. Or you're in this situation because you're not confessing a certain sin. Usually, for churches to be helpful in cities, it's not to be prophetic hotheads and lobby against a group to change their behavior so that God will stop the storms. Usually, our job is to shut up, listen, offer kindness, and pray. Usually, because sometimes you might need to have more direct conversations. My friend uh, Louise, her husband died in, in the early 1990s. There were lots of people from church that knocked her door and had great answers why God was allowing this to happen. She says, I remember none of them. Maybe there's a place for that conversation, but I don't remember any of them really. I remember the one that knocked the door late at night with an apple pie and some custard and said, I'm coming in for a cup of tea, and she listened to me, and we prayed. And that's lesson one. Don't be a prophetic hothead as a church. But in this storm, God is doing something. He is getting Jonah to get his act together because he wants to save Nineveh. He needs the church to get serious. And something funny happens. Well, I think it's funny. Well, maybe it's not funny. But I'll, I'll tell you why I think it's funny in a moment. Here's verse 5. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. If you know the Greek, it actually says he was snoring. <laughs> why? Just an added bit of uh, like a dig at Jonah that he snores. Here's the funny thing. Have you seen the episode of The Simpsons where like the end of the world's coming? And all the people in the church run out the church and go into the pub. And all the people in the pub run out of the pub and go into the church. Have you seen that one? There's a brilliant summary of Jonah chapter 1. Um, in the storms of life, the sailors get praying. The church guy is asleep. It's the classic Simpsons situation. And they're scared of death. And they need a message and a lifeline and a rope thrown in some direction. Okay? And the main summary today, remember, is church has got to pray for people going through storms, sharing Jesus, 
We pray and then we invite other people to pray, right? Here's key lesson two as why we've got to be prayers to share Jesus in the city. Because everyone, even tough guys like sailors, are usually not so tough in their last moments. I've seen that countless times. When the storms seem too big for people, even tough guys in cities like Cardiff and beyond, people want to know, is there someone bigger than this storm in my life? That's just what usually happens. How do we know that they were really desperate here? They threw out all the cargo, every man for themselves, in those last moments where I think I'm going to enter into eternity. In 1 Kings chapter 10, it talks about how King Solomon used to trade with Tarshish. So on boats like this would have been people's wealth, life savings, treasures, um, family possessions, all just tossed away. No second thought, everything out the window, all my wealth, savings, treasures, because one thing matters now that I'm facing the end, the storm. One thing matters, I've got to pray. I'm going to get superstitious, I'm going to get religious. Is there something bigger than this storm? Because otherwise, I've had it. Okay? So people get worried in life, even the tough guys. And they turn to their pagan gods and they pray. So that's lesson two. People get scared, even the tough ones, and they need praying people because they're going to start doing it themselves. And we move on to mini lesson three, and this is really getting out to the main point. People then and now are really religious or superstitious. They are. We can bury it under like comforts and wealth, but in these moments, right now in this city, and we're thinking about sharing Jesus and praying, right now, loads of people, probably in Heath Hospital or just in their homes, are firing up arrows of prayer to someone, making bargains with God. Like, if you're there, get me out of this one. Is someone there, get me out of this one. They're bargaining. What's our job? To get them to bargain or to call upon the one who hears. Everyone fires up these arrows in some way or another, and we are here to help them get it to the right place. I remember seeing a bus or reading about a bus, there was a slogan on the side of a bus. As long as, as long as there are maths tests, there will always be prayer in schools. <laughs> right? It's so true. Someone's going through something now, even if it's a maths test, and they're like, oh, I better fling up a prayer because I don't know the answer to this one. I remember listening to Richard Dawkins on Radio 4. Uh, Richard Dawkins, a staunch atheist, like pretty critical and unkind to anyone religious. He was being interviewed um, with a vicar on Radio 4, and he said how unintelligent Christians are, and how most Christians wouldn't even know the four Gospels, or the names of the four Gospels. They just don't know anything. They're all so stupid, these people. And the vicar said, Richard, is, isn't your favorite um, book, The Origin of Species, by um, Charles Darwin? He said, Richard, can you name the full title of that book? And this is live on air now, see? 
So we're all listening eagerly, and Richard goes, yes, I could. I could tell you the title of that book, the full title, yes. It's much longer than The Origin of Species. And the Richard goes, okay, Richard, you go ahead and name it then. And, uh, and Richard goes, well, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's The Origin of Species. And then something really interesting happened. He goes, and I'm quoting this, oh, God. Uh, And live on BBC Radio 4, Dawkins throws up a prayer. God, help me to remember the name of that book that helped me to deny that you exist. Up it goes. God, it's the most fascinating thing. Everybody does something like that. And in these Jonah chapters, these sailors pray. Because when you're facing it, something goes on inside. That survival thing kicks on. I need protection and help here. Everyone in this city is heading to that moment. And they're going to get superstitious or something. What's our role? We need to pray. And we need to tell them about prayer. And we need to sometimes tell them about the one who hears prayer. I hardly ever meet a religious person who's facing... No, I hardly ever meet a non-religious person in Heath Hospital who's facing death, or my last hospital in Bridgend, or the one before that in Swansea. Um, I hardly ever go to a funeral and don't hear something like, Gramps is in heaven now, looking down on us. Everybody's like that. It's like in us. I remember when uh, my PE teacher broke his neck in Lanishan High School, and me and my dad went to visit him. I don't think he's a Christian. The first thing he said to us is, your man upstairs has watched over me. In these moments, these sailors were tough guys, and they start crying out to God. Here's the summary again. We pray, and then we tell people who we're praying to, because the city needs us. And now you're like, well, that's tough. I can't tell people I pray to the Father who sent the Son in the power of the Spirit, because we're a multicultural, multinational city. That's tough. And it's happened here. This is a multinational crew who all, verse 5 said, pray to their own gods. And here's really the key lesson of all the many ones. Um, We learn in this chapter that there is one God who hears the prayers and responds. Simply having faith isn't enough. And Parken needs to pray and spread the glorious message that to pray to the living God is the best thing that anyone can do. Many people today have views on Jesus. Um, He's not divine. He's a good guy. I'll pray to some God somewhere that doesn't involve Jesus. Or Jesus is dead. Just try your best and get superstitious. Or he was all right, but he's not equal to God. And loads of people will call on different gods Today, some will just have a drink and head to the god of alcohol to escape life. Some will cry to Vishnu and some to Shiva. Some will go to pop music just to get through life. Um, Some will call on drugs or sex or a new hobby. There's loads of religions in Cardiff City. Reading this week, there's a new god coming out. Someone's trawling through the Bible now and editing all of God's pronouns out so there can be a new uh, gender-neutral god. My friend actually said this week, all right, so just to be clear, if someone 
tells you their preferred pronouns, it's considered rude not to use them unless it's God. Well, I thought that was interesting. Anyway, I'll run that by you next week again. Here's the point. Nothing gets heard in Jonah chapter 1 outside of the name of Yahweh, the Lord God. Who is going to share his name this week in this city? The answer is Park End Church. Who gets to pray to the God who hears and loves and works all things for good? Park End Church. And there's many gods and many philosophies. They even throw dice in verse 7 here. And somehow the Lord intervenes. One God hears in Jonah chapter 1. One God works things for good. Have you read Proverbs 16 verse 33 for any dice throwers? The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from Yahweh the Lord. How do we reach a city for Jesus? Here's our job. Pray to the God who answers and tell people who you're praying to and why. Let me just read verse 8 as we sort of wrap things up here. So they asked him to Jonah, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who has made the sea and the land. What's fascinating here is this. They need the church member to get right with their own God so that they can be saved. They need him to be praying to the right one so that the city can be saved. The world expects Park End Church to pray for them in their crises. Who are you? What's your God? The world holds us accountable to be praying for them in the storms that they face today. Your family members hold you accountable because we bear the name of Christ. Christ, the King of the storms. The world's like, you better be praying to him. We need that. We're superstitious. We're looking for something. You pray. You tell us about the living God and why you're praying to him. Not a week goes by without someone in the school run or the football team say to me, oh, would you have a word with your man upstairs for me, please? I'm going through it. I'm like, of course I will. The owner of the storms. My faith isn't a personal thing. It literally involves the world. Everyone looks to the church to pray. You are part of a movement that's the center of the universe and will go on forever. And here's the glorious thing. Our God has a track record of being wonderful. That's the one we're praying to. Imagine the wind and the waves and no Jesus involved, that he's not allowing it. Imagine that. You call me to come and visit you this week in the storms of your life and I go, well, drink up, brother, it's meaningless. You know that wonderful Jesus? He's not behind the storms. There's, you're just going to be in the grave soon like everyone else. There's no justice. There's no purpose. There's no higher narrative. All those stories about rape in the news. There's no going to be final justice for any rapist. There's no fair judge. There's no kind, loving God. It's all just blind, pitiless indifference. So drink up. Jonah 1 says, that is utter rubbish. Utter rubbish rubbish. We can say to people, our God sees, 
He cares, He sends, He allows, He's trustworthy. And those hands that have bled for me on Calvary, they are holding me together. Now, let me tell you about those hands that can hold you in your storms. Dear colleague, let me tell you about my father who sent this son, who's working all things for good. He's left the grave behind him, and so will I. I'm going to talk to him about you right now. And we're like, tell me more. I'm at that stage now where Jesus is so utterly great to me. I'm like with Thomas Goodwin who says, even if we get to heaven and we find out Jesus wasn't God and we all just get sent to hell with Jesus, we would rather be in hell where Jesus is than whatever God is not Jesus, who is actually the right one. That's where you get to when you realize just how wonderful Jesus is. There's going to be a group of us in hell still worshiping Jesus because he's that good. That's the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close by saying one more important thing, because I know that people are going through hell on earth, either here or in people's lives. I want to tell you one more important thing from Jonah chapter 1. And it's only little. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land. This is verse 13. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They tried to row back, but they could not, because not only was there a storm, the storm then got even wilder. And I close by a theological but important point. It is wrong to think this, the idea that easy comes from God and hard comes from Satan. Jonah 1 demolishes the idea that easy life comes from God, and if I'm having a hard time, I have to have done something wrong. God's not in it. This stuff's from Satan. Do not believe that, and don't let that message spread around this city. Things get worse in verse 13, and God is still holding it together, still loving, still caring. There's a missionary called Alan Gardner. He's one of my favorites. He went to Tierra del Fuego to preach the gospel, and then he got freezing cold and starving. And he thought, okay, God's still in it. Then he found a fishing net. And he thought, yes, now I can fish. God is in it. This is good. And then he got the net, and the net broke. And the bad storm got even worse. And he's tempted at that point to think, well, God was in the first storm, but he's definitely not with me now because my net just broke. I'm doomed. I'm sinned. He hates me. It's hopeless. It's all over. No. Jonah won, and the storm got worse. I remember moving to Ogmore Vale, praying to the Lord, Lord, I got a wife. I got, I think, a baby on the way. Like, are you in this? And then uh, we got, because moving's a headache, and no one goes to Ogmore Vale, Lord. So, you know, this is tough. It's tough. Are you in this? Let me know. And then this house came up on the market. We were like, yes, God is in it. This is a storm, but God is in it. And then, a week later, the builder puts a sign up next to our house for a brothel. And he's going to turn the house next door 
into a brothel. And I'm like, wait, Lord, are you in this? Or is this a site? Well, what am I supposed to do? I'm not sure, like, like a baby, the best environment is a brothel. I'm not sure about that, but if you want, I don't know if you're in this or not, because the brothel thing, oh, maybe he's not. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. Then, a few days later, the builder took the sign down. It was just a joke. Isn't that funny? I'm like, are you in this or not? Then we got the house and we're like, this is definitely the Lord's will. He wants us here. It was a storm. The brothel thing wasn't easy. But we're finally here. Then we go out in the garden, scan, you know, make some plans for the boys. We find a colony of Japanese knotweed, undetected by the survey. I'm like, are we meant to be? Because the things you can't do once there's Japanese knotweed on your property. Anyway, we ordered a pizza. I remember sitting in this room in Ogmo Vale, no friends or family around, just me or Rita, maybe Jensen, I can't remember. And we're like, let's order a pizza. The pizza arrives, we're like, the Lord's with us. The storms are over. Oh, Lord, you sent a pizza. Open a box, it's cold. Cold pizza. Lord, are you with us? What have we, what have we done? Have I stepped outside your will? There's so many storms. Here's Jonah chapter 1. The storm grew worse. But the Lord still works all things together for good. And we follow a God now at this table. The Lord Jesus Christ had one storm after another, but all worked well in the end. Hold on, Christian. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered the stigma of illegitimacy. He was called insane, demonic. He was hungry and thirsty. He was tired. His family turned against him. Then his friends turned against him. And after that, the crowd turned against him. Then he endured an unfair and corrupt trial. And if that wasn't enough, then he had the storm of being tortured to death. Then he had the sins of the world placed upon him. He was never called a funny man. No one ever records him laughing at things. He's called the man of sorrows acquainted with grief. But it was all for good. So he could save us and bring us to glory. Hold on, dear brother and sister. Pray and tell others about this God who works all things for good. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.